When Jesus gave this precept that's here in the 12th chapter of John, every farmer understood it. Yet he wasn't talking about agriculture. He was speaking of his own death. He was also issuing a dictum to all of us that we follow in his footsteps and the time would come that we would have to die to self. We'd have to put aside our dreams and our hopes and our ambitions. The reality is, as, as a follower of Christ, we must understand that what we're looking forward to is much, much greater than what this world offers. We're told that we look through a glass darkly looking at this world, meaning that we're just seeing shades of what life really is like. And only in heaven will we understand fully what that's about. This pulpit one Sunday, I lost a sight in my left eye. My retina detached. And I can remember the fear of that. I googled on the way up to uh, UAB some information and discovered that if it totally detached that that the surgery would not be simple and it wouldn't guarantee anything. And I can remember the feeling I had the day after the surgery when they took that huge covering off my eye. And I looked and they said, now it will be a little sensitive. They weren't kidding. Every stream and ray of light seemed to burn. It was so bright. If you remember, we had just remodeled this building. And Harold, I told you, I cried the first two Sundays up here because the lights, these are so bright. And I understood by that a little bit of what God was talking about because in this world, we don't understand what real life is about. We get glimpses of it and images of it, but truly, that's not what life is about. It's so much more than that. And in order for us to reach the precipice that we must get to to fulfill our destiny in this life, which leads to the other life, is that we've got to die. Today there are people here who are living without hope. People all around us. People in this room. And your heart is set on things that you focused on, yet you're not releasing yourself to God to trust Him. Never estimate that your condition is beyond repair. Remember this, you can't be resurrected until you die. Jesus taught that self-preservation is self-destruction. Think about that. And that self-sacrifice is real living. Now, we all grow up, and, and if, if you did like I did, I went to public school for the first seven years of my life. And you learn about self-preservation in public schools. I can remember going in the first grade, and where I attended school in East Point, uh, I, I, I went to school, Central Park Elementary School. We affectionately called it Frog Hollow because it was down in a valley and surrounded by oak trees. 
And it was, a, it was a great place. You went to where? Church Street? You went to Colonial Hills. Oh, he, he went to the private school. I went to public school the first part of that. And I can remember getting there, and you'd have to know the community there. But at that time, part of, 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 of our community was a low-income housing project. And they're some of the roughest kids I've ever seen come to that class. Some of the nicest people I ever met were there, but they would come dirty. They'd come without socks. They would come with clothes on that had not been washed for some time. And I learned something by being there that not everybody got to grow up like I did. My mother was one of those people that felt that... Uh, that her living room sofa was so precious and beautiful with the satin on there, she covered it with plastic. Now, that always bothered me. Why you do that, I don't know, but she did. We took our shoes off to walk through certain rooms of the house, and she taught us that, uh, Bruce, you're not the only person in the world that had street clothes and, and church clothes and school clothes. We were, we, everything was separated. But I learned about a world that was not like that. And I can remember going to visit one of my friends that lived in the projects there. My mother sat in the car outside in case I wanted to leave. But it broke my heart. Because this young man, was he was every bit as gregarious and, and focused on life as I was. He had all the potential in the world. Yet life seemed to hand him a situation that was, that was sad. But somehow in his house, his mother, a sweet little lady whose husband abandoned her when her son was only six weeks old, created a house of love. And never did they consider that they were shortchanged in any way. In fact, by the time that I was in the restaurant business, he was managing restaurants, big restaurants in Atlanta. Before I sold my restaurants out to enter the ministry, he owned restaurants. I can remember sitting down and talking to Mark about that and his situation there, and he showed me something in his office. He pulled out of his desk a grimy, dirty undershirt. He said, my mother bought this at the Salvation Army for me to wear. And he said, it didn't look much better than this. But I wore it with pride because my mother always said, it's not what's on the outside of the shirt, but it's what's on the inside of the shirt that really matters. He realized that he had to sacrifice something in life early. And I understood something about that that I may have never seen had I not been there. But God wants us to be people who understand that life is not always easy. It's not always simple. Sometimes it's cruel and sometimes it's unkind. But, but we are focusing on something larger than this life. Don't let the words that are on your tombstone and those echoed by your eulogist at your funeral be the summation of your life. Your life should be much more than that. Your life does not end at death. It really begins there. So I want to think for a few minutes about what Jesus is saying here. Not, 
not just about his own death, but about how we're to die for self. Because on this, the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, the only possibility for us to have the blessed hope is for us to be willing to die to self. This is more important than ever before. You do realize that we're facing the most unsure future that America has ever faced. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We understand that we're a nation divided, not north and south, but divided by ideologies and belief systems that run through the very core of every family. So therefore, we need to be prepared we need to put forth the image of Christ in a bold enough way that people will be touched and changed. That's who we are. That's what we're about. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Do you understand the paradox of glory through shame? Many people don't understand that. They want to put their best foot forward. They want to shine. They want to impress people. They want to have that, that great first impression that you only get once. But they don't understand that, that as Jesus said here, He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, glory here means magnified or honored. Yet Jesus had to take a dark path to get there. It wasn't for him to step up and become the Caesar of the Roman Empire. It wasn't his to call down 10,000 angels and conquer and have conquests before those who occupied Israel. No, that, that was not at all what he, he was going to do. That's what the disciples dreamt about. That's what they imagined and probably when they were away from him they discussed. In the back, dark recesses of the, their mind, they probably thought, well, who will I be in that great kingdom? But that was not the road he took. Good Friday was a sad day for so many people. We have a lot of Fridays like that, don't we? They get dark, they get frightening. There's seemingly no way to, to escape what's there. And we tremble. And we fear what is ahead. Sometimes that fear comes in the form of a doctor visit. A shadow on your lung or your liver. Or there's a, a, something not quite right with your heart. Or you're not thinking clearly. And suddenly you face the inevitable. Isn't it frightening how we stand around and everybody else is getting older and we're not? Have you noticed that? We, we just don't, you know, I looked at some friends of mine the other day that I grew up with and I thought, boy, they're aging quickly. Then I made the mistake of looking too clearly in the mirror this morning and it terrified me. We're all aging and, and we're moving in that direction, but we, we don't want to think about it. But God says, listen to me, you're going to go down that path. You're going to suffer in life. There are going to be sadnesses that, that you can't control. The, the inevitable you will have to face. 
But God says glory comes through that. The shame of the cross and the disgrace of that gave us the greatest gift we've ever received. Forgiveness. Jesus didn't just forgive our sins. He, I've often said that, that salvation doesn't work like bankruptcy. When you bankrupt, they, they draw a line and say, okay, everything, you start over right here and you go forward. No, Jesus didn't do that. People have been in prison, they get out and, and at some point the warden or someone says to them, you paid your debt to society, which is really a joke, because they haven't. Jesus did more than that. Jesus died not only for the sins that you would commit up until the time you accept the gift of salvation, but He died for every sin you would ever commit. When you were living in the middle of God's will and you were working for Him and you slipped and you sinned, He died for that sin. When you sinned and disgraced Him and shamed Him, He died for that sin. That's how much He loved us. But He tells us if we follow in His footsteps, as it says in Hebrews 12 too, it says, Paul, following Jesus' example, wrote, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He has planned for us glory. But we've got to go down that road. We've got to be obedient. We've got to follow Him as he leads us. Secondly, I want you to realize this, that are you willing to submit to the miracle of germination? Now, there's some farmers here today that can describe this better than I can, but one of the great miracles in life is, as Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Germination is a miracle of creation that turns a dormant seed into a growing plant. Do you realize that, that seeds that are kept protected have been found, even in Egypt, in, 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 in one of the, the, the great pyramids, they found a large bowl of seeds that had been dry and protected, and they were thousands of years old. And you know what they did? They grew again. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible that, that, that they can be germinated and they can grow. Up to a certain point, we're told that germination even brings the miracle of DNA repair. Up to a half million DNA modifications per healthy cell per day. Amazing. God created in such an amazing way the world that we live in. I don't know, Roy, if you ever felt that way when you walked out in the middle of a field. But God was doing one of His greatest works out there. And He used that as an example of His, His own dying, going away. The paradox of the glory through shame is also a miracle. Because if Jesus had not have died, we could not live. On the cross, the greatest reputation in the world was built. Yet the most perfect person that had ever lived was shamed. And He did that for us. He wanted us to know that we were loved. 
I can't imagine the love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I, I, I spent a day last week driving in a long trip, and I listened again to one of my favorite books, The Shack. I had it, uh, and I was able to listen to it. And to listen to it and to pick apart things in there that touch me, mainly about the reputation and the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it so touched me. Because they, in a, in a very perfect way, show the love relationship that's existed forever. You listen to that in, in, a, in a very humanly way, and, and you, you say, surely it can't be that good. But it is. Surely they, they can't, can't always be happy and, and joyous. Yes, they can. You see, we're affected by all sorts of strange things. Things that, that really wouldn't matter, like one of these beautiful lights going out, or the tree not standing quite straight, or somebody not showing up that's supposed to be here or it raining at the wrong time. All those things affect us. They disturb us. They, they, they bother us. But, but in the relationship of the Trinity, they're not a concern. They're just backdrop for God perfecting His full will in our lives. We've got to understand that, that it's, life's not about self-promotion. It's about service. It's about self-sacrifice, giving to others and making a difference. God wants us to do that. If a grain of wheat dies, it produces much grain. For this to happen in the spiritual sense, irrelevant church traditions must die. We have to adapt to meet the community. I'm doing something very uncomfortable this morning. I'm wearing a tie. I haven't done this for a long time. Uh, I've wanted to get away from it. Not that I don't like ties. I actually hate ties. But uh, I want people that come through these doors to feel welcome and wanted. I believe with all my heart that we must do everything we can to reach out to the lost in any way. And remember, you know who a lost person is? There's somebody that looks just like you. They may even be happier than you. And the only thing they're missing is they don't have a relationship with Jesus that will take them safely to heaven. And that's what we're about. We're not like salesmen. We're not trying to build up a quota. We don't get commission. We're supposed to do what we do in sharing the gospel because we love people. Not out of a sense of duty to Christ, but out of a sense of love for those who haven't met Him. And as you recognize how Jesus has changed your life, you should want to share Him with others so they'll know the difference that He can make. You know, there, there are a lot of things out there I've seen in my lifetime that have changed, and you've seen too. There was a Southern Gospel song, and I've, I've told Jeff, don't ever sing this, don't even whistle it. And he, he actually played it in his office one day. There's a southern gospel song called Devil in the Phone Booth Dialing 911. I don't even want to tell you anymore about the song, but I can remember when the church, little country church I was in, 
a lady stood up and sang that song. My son looked over at me. You know what he said? Dad, what's a phone booth? He had no idea. Think about the things in technology that are gone now that, you know, rotary phones, cassette tapes, typewriters, vacuum tube radios. All these things. I mean, I told Jerry one time, I said, I said, when I was little, we had a black and white TV. And he said, what difference does the color of it matter? He didn't understand that TVs weren't always color. I talked to him about warming up the set. Remember that? Moving the antennas, just the, the rabbit ears, just the right way. And how you were jealous of the neighbors that had that tower, that had that little motorized thing they could turn and aim it just the right way technology has changed drastically i can ride down the road going 60 miles an hour and have my phone on the dash and i can watch television on it isn't that unbelievable remember when you used to bounce in between cells they're just about able to overcome that everywhere but selma <laughs> we've got a ways to go there but I want you to realize this. When Jesus said, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What an amazing truth that was to so many people. We've got to be willing to sacrifice. But lastly this. Are you called to be a tourist or pilgrim in this world? Are you walking through just gazing at the world and enjoying yourself and making those typical yearly visits and vacations that you take? Are you, are you more excited about shopping in this season than you are about reaching the lost for Christ? Are you more concerned about keeping up with the neighbors than keeping up with what Christ would have you to do? If anyone serves me, he said, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be. Tourists go out of curiosity. They look at things. Rubberneckers slow down because they think they'll see something different. But the servant of Christ is always agile and focused on what God wants them to do. See, the truth of the matter is this. You can attend church for all the wrong reasons. Church attendance is not checked off for you to get into heaven. Back in the good old days, before coronavirus, sitting at the round table in the Mavericks class eating breakfast, we had a routine that we went through in there. And one of the routines was for Noopy to come through there and hand us, as all the guys do, that hand, hand their little, little uh, offering envelope to Andy Reeves. But you always were different. He grew up in this church, and he always would hand it to him and he'd say, Bible read, lesson studied. He checked everything off on there because that's what we used to do. That didn't get you into heaven, but that would build you in the direction of finding Christ. That's why we did that. Remember this. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. 
And Christ wants you to give your best to Him. Hope is not about wishing, but it's about knowing your relationship with Him. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, a religion that gives nothing and costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And I think he was correct. I love the, uh, uh, some of the German writers. I, I'm selective in who I read. But Karl Barth said it this way one time. He said, the Word became flesh, and then through theologians it became words again. The Word was to become flesh in us. Don't hand people a book to read about Jesus. Don't give them a Bible. You can do that, but don't do that in, as a replacement for your living the Christ life before them. The Gospel is best demonstrated by you in a realistic way. I grew up long enough ago when I remembered when the folks would come by that would sell fuller brushes and invariably there was the vacuum cleaner guy that would come by and they were called home demonstrators the vacuum cleaner guy would would open a paper sack and throw out some some dust and junk on the carpet which made my mother very angry and then he plug it in he vacuum it up very often the brush people would say, I can, I can accomplish twice the work with the brush I have. They prove themselves. And as Christians, we must prove ourselves to a world that's doubting what's going on. Remember this, most of what you hear on television is a lie. In fact, remember the question that Pilate asked Jesus when he was standing before him? He said, what is truth? That'd be a good question to ask the major media chains today. What is truth? You know, I put a little something up on Facebook the other day and I got chided by some people and a lot of folks liked it. But it was a picture of, of Eve standing in the garden by the tree with a serpent. And it said, remember, Satan was the first fact checker. Because the serpent said, did God really say what you thought he said? Doubt like that will damn you every time. That's why you've got to know the truth that will set you free and then allow it to set others free. If you don't do that, you'll get to heaven and you'll see the bright and shining lights. You'll understand the blessed hope. Yet in your heart you'll remember, I forgot about those who didn't know. Those who had an opportunity to hear the truth from me and I failed to give it to them. Don't do that. Be focused today in this week, the first advent of hope, and be focused on that. And God will change your heart forever. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you give to us truth that we struggle with but truth that will transform us. It's truth that many times we wrestle with because we know it's coming from You and we can trust it, but we also know that it, it demands that we change. And change is something we don't do so easily. Father, I pray that You speak to someone this morning that needs to hear truth in their heart and that they would respond positively to it even now. If they need to come and make a public profession of faith, 
may they do that if they need to come forward and join this church to begin their relationship in this community of faith or whatever the need is Lord speak to someone even now and may they be faithful to follow you in this moment of decision for we pray this in your holy name Lord Amen